0: Well, good morning. You guys getting tired of me yet? Come on now. You don't please don't answer that question because actually my feelings are very sensitive. It's great for you to be here today. Thank you for joining us. My name is Preston Waller. I'm the student pastor here at Forest Park Church. Uh, I'm grateful and honored to be able to be back up here again, but also uh, to lead our students every first and third Sunday. So uh, it wasn't a hosting video, but I'll mention it really quick up top. If you have a sixth through 12th grader or no one, man, we have next tonight, our next nights happen every first and third Sunday from five to seven here. We have some great food. We're gonna have some great games. If you have a teenager or no one, we'd love for them to join us tonight. Um, I love the acoustic sets, God. I just love the worship. Don't you guys just love the acoustic? Anyone? I love it. It just is a great way to kind of take all of it out and just say, let's just worship and get back to praising God for who he is. So we're in part four of our series, Fresh Faith, and I'm going to go real quick recap because I don't have much time. This whole series is designed to show us why we're struggling with our faith today. Ever since really the last two years have happened, our lives have kind of fallen apart and our faith has too. So I said in week one, the way we're going to get back to fresh faith is we're going to have to look at one theology, one topic, and that is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, simply put, is God's rule and reign over all creation, that he rules and reigns over all creation, our lives included, and that God is intentionally designed the world that if we will pursue a narrow path thats countercultural, counter-cultural, we'll grow. And if we pursue a wide path, the easy path, the path that the world says we should pursue, we'll find our faith kind of dying and withering. And so that's kind of the premise for this whole series is getting back onto the narrow path that God has for us. In week two, Scott talked about uh, Jesus being the king of the kingdom, that truly the biggest and, and the best picture you can describe Jesus as is a king and a king that's willing to suffer for his people and then last week I talked about who are we so we've got, Jesus is the king of the kingdom then who are you and I in his kingdom what are we like how do we operate what are the things that define who we are and I said that actively every second of every day, there are two voices talking to you. There's the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. And sometimes we have to stop and ask the question, who said that when determining who's talking to us? And that if we're gonna grow in our faith, we have to start defining ourselves the way that God defines us. So who does God say we are? And we have to live by those truths and walk by those truths to develop and sustain fresh faith. Today, I wanna to answer a very simple question. Um, and next week, we'll, they'll talk about uh, more of this question. But the question today that I really wanna to answer together is simple. What is God trying to accomplish? What is God trying to really do, right? If God's the king of the kingdom and we are his people, then what is Jesus, what is God really trying to do here in our lives, in this world, in Elizabeth city? What is he trying to do? What is his mission? And I know this, every kingdom has a mission. Every country has a mission. Every king has a mission for their kingdom. So every good company has something that I, I think we should all have. It's, it's a mission statement. For those of you who don't know what mission statements are, I simply put mission statements are just statements that companies or churches or whoever usually comes up with to answer one question. Why do you exist? What, what, why are you a company? Why are you a church? What makes you say we need to be a thing? Why do you exist? Let me give you just a couple of examples of famous companies and their mission statements. I, I think some of them are funny. Uh, Google's mission statement says, We exist to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Walmart's mission statement says, We exist because we save people money so they can live better lives. Now, it's important to say, the, this is why they say they exist. Now, whether you agree that Walmart's actually main goal is to save you money, you can argue that all you want. But the reality is, that is their mission statement, that we exist so we can save you money so you can have a better life. Here's two more. Uh, Nike's mission statement says, we exist to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And then one I like the American Red Cross says, we exist to prevent and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergencies by mobilizing the power of volunteers and the generosity of donors. So these are statements that say, this is why we exist. This is why the American Red Cross is a thing. But one of the things I think you and I need to understand about mission and mission statements in particular is, One mission statements do truly define why a company or organization exists, but more than that mission statements reflect the heart of the leader. Mission is a reflection of the leader's heart, right? So, so we would go back and we would say, okay, American Red Cross says they exist to alleviate human suffering through donors and through mobilizing volunteers. That's why they exist. But even more than that, that's a reflection of the CEO and founders heart. That is a reflection of their passion. That is a reflection of who they are in some degree at the end of the day. That they would say, I wanted to start this thing because I care about alleviating human suffering or I care about bringing inspiration and innovation to the sports world. Whatever it may be, we have to understand that mission is important because it tells us why we exist. And it tells us the heart of the leader behind it, right? Here at Forest Park, our mission statement, the one on the big wall, that's as you walk into KidVenture, we exist because we wanna help people follow Jesus better one step at a time. That tells you why Forest Park is a church, but more than that, I hope it would tell you that this is the heart that me, Pastor Scott, Lana, everyone on staff has for you, for this area, for this world, for this community, that we want to help people follow Jesus better one step at a time. So the question really today is, then what is God really trying to accomplish, right? If God has a mission, what is his mission? If God had a mission statement, what would it be? Well, I, I wanna say there are three things that God is doing and accomplishing, right? So. These are active things that God's doing. He didn't do them at one point, he's no longer doing them. I think that's important for us to know before we dive in today. So God really has three things that he's trying to do here in this world and in your life. And I wanna walk through them for the rest of the service. Number one, God is about redemption. God is about redemption. This is what God is primarily about. He's primarily about redemption. And if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you'll realize that the primary story of the Bible is a redemptive story. We talked about it last week a little bit, the story of the fall, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and then Genesis 3, the fall. And we see that what God did is He He created everything very, very good. Adam and Eve, you're loved. You have everything you need here. They disobeyed. And the rest of the story, Genesis 3 on, is God's chasing after his people to try to redeem their souls. The rest of the Bible is the story about God chasing after his people so he can redeem them to him, back to him. There's a verse in Colossians one I wanna read you because I love this verse. Not, not just because of what it says, but I love the phrasing that uses. It really paints a beautiful picture. Paul says this in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, he Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins as we go throughout this kingdom series or Fresh face series, however you see it, you'll see there's always kind of contractual contrasting statements, right? Uh, In week one, we talked about God contrasts the way of the world as a wide path and the way of his kingdom as a narrow path. You'll see more in the gospels, Jesus would say, I am the good soil. The kingdom of God is the soil that you plant yourself in that's good. The soil of the world is bad and you die. Here we see another contrast in two kingdoms, right? A domain of darkness and then a kingdom of light is how I would put it. But the Bible says kingdom of the son whom he loves. So we need to define what redemption is. And throughout all three of these points, I want to define them because what can happen is as I go through all three points, you may be wondering, these are the same things, but in a lot of ways they are in a lot of ways they're not. So redemption simply put is buying someone back and setting them free. Now this is not the Webster's dictionary of redemption, but this is in my interpretation, the biblical definition of what redemption is in the story of the Bible. That when we talk about redemption in the Bible in the terms of our spiritual life, redeeming simply put is buying someone back and setting them free. So that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he did redeem your soul, but he redeemed it for a purpose so that you could have freedom so that you could walk free so that the relationship between you and God could be restored back to how it was in Genesis 1 and before the fall happened before sin into the world and the whole story of the Bible again is God's relentless pursuit after your soul to redeem it out of darkness and bring it into light one of the things I want to just really quickly uh, do, because some of you may not have heard uh, my testimony before, and some of you probably have had it heard it a million times. I know my wife's one of them. She she's heard it probably 50 different times as I spoke. But I, I want to share with you my personal story to faith because there's a point behind it. I, I grew up in a divorced home. Two years old, my parents split, and at two to about 15 I had no problem with it because honestly divorced home meant double the Christmas presents and double the birthday presents so as a kid that's that's all I really cared about but I, I grew up in a divorced home and we never went to church we never talked about God in fact I tell people all the time the first time I ever stepped foot in a church was 14 years old and that's not because my mom hated Jesus or hated God or hated faith we just didn't prioritize it so I grew up without this kind of idea of God when I went to uh, freshman year of high school, everything kind of changed. Um, I was a very shy kid in elementary and middle school. Some of you probably still think I'm very shy to this day. Um, but when I entered into freshman year, I said, Preston, we've got to try to fit in. No more of the whole shy, sit in the back room stuff. Like let's try to make friends. Let's try to fit in. Let's try to find a place to belong. Let's try to find acceptance. And I'll get to that in a second, but I remember 14 years old, I was in ninth grade. I'm from a town of about 300 people outside of Raleigh, a little farm town. And my mom is best friends, has a friend, they're best friends and me and her son are best friends. So they're best friends, we're best friends. And I was outside playing one day and my mom got a call from her friend and said, hey, uh, Connor is going to a youth group down the road at uh, the Baptist church, would Preston want to go? And my mom asked me, she said, you know, do you want to go to youth group tonight, Wednesday, it's down the road of the church. And I said, no way. Like, what's the point of going to church? Like, I'm, I'm having fun here. And my mom said, well, let's, let's just go, let's go. You know, I think it'd be good for you. So I went and like any 13 year old boy, I fell in love with youth group. Why? Because they had free pizza. They had pretty girls and all my friends were there. And so that, that was the main reason I went. I was in a small town. As soon as I walked through the door, 50 students I saw, I saw at school. I was like, this is awesome. My friends came here. I didn't know they came to church. Oh, there's some nice looking girls here. Man, there's free pizza like this. This is pretty good. I can get down with a youth group. This sounds awesome. And I kept going back over and over again. And you know what? My mom started to get plugged into their church a little bit on Sunday mornings we would go. And then as I got into high school again, I really struggled with depression. I still do occasionally. Uh, And I really struggled with anxiety and and really loving myself. And I don't just mean loving myself internally, but externally too. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like what people said about me. I didn't like that I was socially awkward at times. And I really began to suffer and have insecurities. And, And again, that led me to trying to fit into a group or a crowd of people that was not the best for me uh, from about ninth grade until probably halfway through my junior year of high school for every weekend that there was a weekend i would go to my friend's house and we would do the same thing we would drink until we can't feel anything we'd smoke until we can't feel anything i begin using drugs and i would pass out just about every weekend trying to numb the pain numb the voices and kill the insecurities that plagued my mind and plagued my heart because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be included. I wanted to be loved. And I really just began to begin get into a cycle that was not healthy for me as a teenage boy, even while at the same time going to church in a youth group. My church goes to summer camp every year and they still do it to this day. They always go to the same one. They go to a summer camp at Fort Caswell down in Oak Island. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. And ninth grade year, uh, my youth pastor came to me and said, hey, you wanna go with us to summer camp? I said, what is it? She said, "Uh, we go to the beach for a week. I said, I'm in, like this, (laughs) that was an easy sell. You didn't have to say anything else. All my friends are going to the beach for a week. This is pretty awesome. I went down there and you know how summer camps work. I'm sure some of you, they have worship services every morning and night. The speaker for that week was a pastor by the name of Asheen Ziafat. And he's still a pastor to this day in Texas. He's a fantastic preacher. And he preached on the gospel in a way that I as a 13 year old boy had never heard because some of us, we hear the gospel growing up and we hear Jesus wants to come save you and give your life to him so you can get to heaven and be with him in heaven one day. I didn't hear that growing up. I I, I didn't hear any of it. When I went to summer camp, he presented a a message of faith that i had never heard before. He came before everyone and he said, Jesus has came and died so that the chains that are holding you down could be set free so that you could have freedom from the things that are holding you back, whatever that may be, that you don't have to walk around with insecurities. You don't have to walk around chained down by the things that are plaguing your mind and plaguing your heart. And I remember sitting there and saying, I didn't know that Jesus came so that I could be free here, that I could actually have freedom here. I didn't have to wait till I died. And I was dealing with so much I said, I I have to have this. I'm trying every weekend to numb the pain and it works for about six hours till I wake up the next morning and it all comes back. It doesn't last. He said, Jesus provides full and everlasting freedom. And he gave an invitation and I didn't go down mainly because my friends weren't going down. I was still in that stage of, well, I, I feel like I should do this, but my friends are just sitting here, so I, I'm not gonna go. It wasn't until the next summer that Chad Post spoke, uh, another pastor that week, and he gave kind of the same gospel presentation. And at that point I said, I have to experience freedom because I'm, I'm just dying from depression, dying from addiction, and I need to be set free from these things. So I went down to the altar and take into account that remember, I didn't grow up in church, so no one taught me the sinner's prayer. No one taught me what to say. I literally got down on the altar, tears in my eyes, and I just repeated the same phrase over and over again. I just said, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, thank you. And I gave my life to Jesus that night. And the reason I'm telling you my testimony is because in those moments of that story, I hope you heard that God in small ways was drawing me out of darkness and into light. What sense does it make for my mom who didn't care about church for 14 years of my life to randomly say, you know what? We're we're gonna get involved in church and you're gonna go to youth group. That's God in whispers saying, come, come closer come closer, come seek me. Why did I go back every week? Sure, I went back every week because there were pretty girls and free food, but I went back because in some way, God was using that to say, come back, listen, watch, hear how I'm close to you. I went to summer camp because I was plugged in. I went to summer camp and God in those services was whispering to me, listen, pay attention watch what I'm trying to tell you in these moments. See how I'm trying to speak to you. See how I'm trying to draw you out of darkness and into light. And my story of testimony and your story too, regardless of what you de- dealt with, is God taking you out of a domain of darkness and putting you into a kingdom of light, putting you into freedom. And this is why I wanna tell you, redemption is all about saving your soul and redeeming your relationship back to God. And God is actively trying to do that in your life, even to this very second. Whether he's saving your soul right now or not, he's saving and redeeming someone's soul across the world right now. And that's the good news of our God. But here's where we struggle with redemption. We too often believe that we're being redeemed from darkness and then we go back into another domain of darkness. We don't walk and live in freedom. Right, God did not redeem you from your addiction to alcohol so that you can be enslaved by legalism and religion. God did not save you from the judgment and insecurities you're feeling so you can walk around angry and judging others. God did not save you from from your mental health crisis so you could walk into a new addiction. See, that's what we, we do. God saved me from this, but I'm gonna go find another domain of darkness to go live in. That's not what God has saved you from. God has saved you from a domain of darkness so that you could have right relationship with Him and live and walk in true freedom. God's first and primary mission is redeeming the souls of His creation. He is passionate about it, he pursues people even when they don't know he's pursuing them. He chases after them in small ways that they don't even notice until they realize years later that God was wooing them and drawing them in those moments. And he does it in an amazing way. And he's doing it right now. And that's the great thing, that's the first thing. God is primarily trying to accomplish the redeeming of our souls. But secondly, God is all about renewal. God is all about renewal and renewal is very much. So the way I could put it is this, redeeming is taking the lost and making them found. Renewal is something that only applies to us that follow Jesus. So renewal is something that is happening in our lives if you claim to be a Christ follower, maybe not in the lives of those who don't. So the best way I could put renewal is just how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. He says this, indeed everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. You hear the redemption there, that as God is saving more and more people, it should produce in us a thanksgiving, a a praise for God. Therefore, because God is still redeeming souls, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed daily. And I want you to see outer and inner. There's a difference between your outer body, the, the thing that you walk around and live in on a daily basis, and the internal person of who you are, your soul. Right? Anyone in here who is getting older knows that as you get older, your body deteriorates. It begins to hurt, you sleep on the wrong side and all of a sudden you're, you're limping for three weeks, right? I mean, it just, I'm having that problem now at 28, I'm sleeping and every day I wake up, my neck is hurting. I'm like, I'm sleeping on the same bed I've slept on for years now. Our body deteriorates and you know that, I'm sure as you get older and older, but our inner person, the good news is, is that God's renewing our inner person every day. Notice that he said, inner person is being renewed day, daily. So what is renewal? Well, the best way that I could define renewal, and again, this isn't Webster's dictionary, but this is the biblical definition, is renewal is God refreshing our strength and encouraging our souls. That God is about renewing our strength and encouraging our souls, that you and I can walk with God on a daily basis in a way that gives us strength and gives us encouragement. We talked last week about the story of Adam and Eve, and I don't wanna spend too, too much time rehashing those things. We know the story, but just for the sake of it, God created everything in perfect harmony. Adam and Eve had everything they need. They sinned and they listened to the serpent over the voice of God and who he said he was. And then this happens in Genesis three, following the, the fall of mankind. I want you to see this story, it's so beautiful. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It goes on to say this. So the Lord God called out to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. That dot, dot, dot really is just a transition. What happens after that is God says, okay, here's your consequences, serpent. You got to crawl around on your belly the rest of your life woman you're going to have pain and childbearing man you're going to have to work the land and you're going to sweat and it's going to be against you you're going to toil you're going to suffer as you work that was the consequences but after that here's the verse 21 god says then the lord god made clothing from skins for the man and his wife and he clothed them the reason that verse to me is so beautiful is because we can oftentimes just skip over it and say well you know god just Gave them some clothes, right? They can't go naked the rest of their life. They had to have something. But it's so important to understand the type of God that God is, right? Because God could have met them with a different response. He could have said, listen, I gave you everything you need. I had one rule. You couldn't follow the one rule. And now look where you're at. Deal with it. Figure it out. I don't know, I had it the right way. Now you've messed it up. So I guess now from now on, you're gonna to have to figure out how to cover yourself. I'm going to, you're gonna to have to figure out how to make life work, either naked or clothing, figure out how to make this work. But that's not God's response. God's response is he takes their shame and he covers it with grace. The Lord God made clothing from skins. What kind of skins? Animal skins. Why is that important? because one of the things I would hope that you could take from today is every passage in the Bible has the gospel in it. We oftentimes think the gospel, the good news of Jesus doesn't come on the scenes till Matthew and that's not true at all. The gospel is foreshadowed throughout all of scripture and the first time it's foreshadowed is right here. God took an animal sacrifice and killed it and took its skin to cover the sin and shame of Adam and Eve. And in the same way, Thousands and thousands of years later, God would repeat the process to take the sacrifice of his son and use his blood to cover our sin and shame. And that is the good news of who God is. That God is not only the God that saves and redeems our soul, but that God is the same God who sustains our soul. That God is not just about you getting into his kingdom. Okay, let's add more and more numbers to my kingdom. You're saved, you're saved, you're saved. Okay, now look how many people are in my family. That's not what he's about. He's also about the health of his children. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to be strengthened. So he's gonna walk with you throughout the rest of your life that you can go through seasons where you may not feel like God's next to you, but he's next to you whispering saying, hey, listen, watch, come near draw near, watch what I do here in your life, see how I'm moving. The God that saves us is the same God that sustains us, and He does it in sometimes unique ways. Sometimes He does it in unique ways. So in those moments when you feel like you have nothing left to give, God may provide rest. And in those moments where you feel like God sends someone your way for no reason. He's sending them your way for a reason, right? When you feel like you're not giving up, sometimes God sends you a random text from a friend you haven't talked to in a year. And they say, I'm just thinking about you, praying for you. Sometimes when you feel like giving up, God draws you into church for the first time in years. And you hear a song that connects with your season of struggle. And you are reminded of the goodness of God, as we sang about just a moment ago. Sometimes when we don't feel like we can give anymore, and we're angry, God provides a reminder of his patience and goodness for us. In those moments where we feel confused and we don't know which way to go or what to do or how to live our life, God sends us discernment. He sends us people to help guide us and provide accountability. He might even send a pastor with a sermon to remind you and lead you in a way to figure out what you need to do. God is passionate, yes, about redeeming souls and accomplishing, bringing people into his family. But more than that, God is so passionate about renewing your soul daily, providing encouragement for you daily, providing strength for you daily, walking with you in the good and the bad so that you could have strength, so that you could have faith that is fresh. God is accomplishing the redeeming of souls, yes, but he is also accomplishing the renewing of your soul every day if you'll allow them to do so. And then the last thing that God is doing, and it sounds just like renewing, but I want to tell you it's not, it's very different, is God is passionate about restoring. He's passionate in accomplishing restoring. So God is not only interested in redeeming and renewing our souls, he's interested in restoring everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 that restoring simply put, the best way I can put it biblically is this, restoring is bringing back things to how they were in the beginning. If you think about like restoring an old car, I'm not a car person, but some of you may be. If you buy an old 70s Cadillac or whatever and you wanna restore it, you want to bring it back to how it looked when it first came off the manufacturing line, right? And in the same way, God is passionate in trying to accomplish restoration in your life, that he is trying to restore all things back to how they were intended to be in Genesis 1 before sin entered the world. And it's important I emphasize all things because if we're not, if we don't understand restoration properly, we can assume that all God cares about is saving my soul and that's it. But this is what Paul says in Colossians 1 19 through 20. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness, talking about Jesus, dwell in him. Through him to reconcile what? everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That that God is interested in about taking all parts of your life and restoring them, not just your spiritual life. That means that God is actively trying to restore your marriage back to how it should be in Genesis one, fully united, fully in love, fully at peace with each other, not always worrying. God is trying to restore your mental health back to how it was in Genesis one, that there was no anxiety, there was no depression, there was no doubt. God is trying to take your money and restore it back to how it was in Genesis one, that you didn't have to worry about what you did or didn't have because you had everything you needed in God and God alone. God provided, he had everything, that God's trying to restore how you see your money back to Genesis one. The problem though is that you and I, and I include myself very much in this statement because I I do this all the time, especially as a man, I compartmentalize my faith. And that big word just means we kind of section up our lives. So if you think about compartmentalization as a dresser, Right, the top drawer, depending on who you are, I'm just using mine for example, the top drawer of my dresser is where I put my socks and my underwear. The second drawer is kind of where I put my shorts or kind of lounging around pants. Third drawer is where I put my shirts that I'm not gonna like need pressed or anything. Fourth drawer is where I keep my shorts that aren't for lounging around, but like for wearing out to dinners or stuff. So I kind of compartmentalize this one goes in this drawer, this one goes in that drawer, this one goes in that drawer. And we do the same thing with our life. We, we have our dreams and our goals in one drawer. We have our finances in one drawer. We have our marriage and our relationships in one drawer. And then if we're honest at the bottom drawer, we have our spiritual life. This is who I am on Sunday. This is who I am when I am in my faith. So the way, the reason compartmentalizing our faith is so dangerous to creating fresh faith is because we buy into the lie that some things are sacred and some things are secular. That some things are sacred and some things are secular. So I give my life to you, Jesus, well, at least the spiritual parts of my life anyway. And we think that God cares about things like church, prayer, reading our Bible and Chick-fil-A. And the rest of our life, like our love for sports or how we lead our family, isn't really that important to God, right? My faith only really comes into play when it comes to church time, my one hour here a week or a month, however so often. And that's what we believe if we're not careful. The truth is we claim Jesus as king, but we put too many lines around his jurisdiction, where he's allowed to go in the parts of our lives we allow him to heal. And we claim Jesus as king, but we don't give everything over to him. So if you're not willing to give every part of your life over to Jesus, then at the end of the day, you're still the king or queen of your own life. Jesus is not truly king of your life until you hand over all things in your life to him. How you spend your time how you spend your money how you love your family how you lead your wife how you deal with uh disappointment how you work some of us we're we're lovely and great people here and then when we go into work monday we complain we gossip we demean others we're frustrated we talk bad about our boss we barely put in any effort we're lazy at work on monday we're compartmentalizing our faith. The way I act on Sunday morning, I praise God, raise my hands, I say, amen, pastor. I, I walk out of here trying to love and smile at people, but when I'm at work tomorrow, it's a whole different Preston. It's a whole different person. When I come home at night to my family, the way I act with my wife is completely different than I would act if I was here on Sunday morning or when I read my Bible or when I, when I pray. And God is not interested in just being the king of your spiritual life. He didn't come and die on the cross for you so that you could read your Bible. God didn't come and die for you so that you could come to church however so often. He didn't come and die for you so that you could pray when you feel like it. He came and died so that he can have all parts of your life. Jeremy Tree, the author of Seek First that I mention every week as a book I recommend for you to read on the kingdom, he says this, and he says it better than obviously I could. He said, Jesus did not leave his heavenly throne and go to the cross to become Lord of your spiritual life. I love this. He said, Jesus gives all of himself and he demands all of you. Saying that Jesus is the Lord of your spiritual life is like saying you're on a diet when you're not eating. It means nothing. He goes on to say, following Christ as King means to surrender every aspect of your life to him, work, relationships, politics, how you see political things, family, your past, your future, everything. That if you want Jesus to be king and you want him to restore your life, you need to want him to restore more than just your soul. Ask him to restore your marriage. Watch how he moves. Seriously consider this, and I don't pose this question to make you question your faith or doubt, or I just, hypothetical. I want you to just chew on it as I, Finish out this message. Seriously consider, if your marriage is the same today as it was before you decided to become a Christ follower, is Jesus really the king of your marriage? If you spend money the same way today as you did before you decided to follow Christ, is Jesus really the king of your checkbook? If your mental health is the exact same today as it was before you decided to follow Jesus, have you really made Jesus the king of your mind and your thoughts? If your dreams are the same today as they were before you decided to follow Jesus, is Jesus really the king of your future? Because I'm tempted to make Jesus the king over my job, how I work here at the church, how I love my wife the best I can, but sometimes even as a pastor, I'm tempted to say, I I got the, the dreams part down, Jesus. I know where I'm going. I've got a plan, so just let me figure it out. But thank you for helping me with my marriage. Thank you for helping me with my spiritual life. And I talked about this in week one that one of the pillars the kingdom of God is built on is humility, because truly you cannot allow God to restore all parts of your life until you humble yourself. And the hard part about that is, is that we live in such a beautiful country, the land of the free, home, home of the brave. And we believe that, yeah, God is great, but if I really wanted anything, I can accomplish it, buy it, or influence my way to get it. And, and while I think that's great, I do think it puts us in a hole where we're not really desperate for God to restore things. If I want restoration in my marriage, I really can just go to marriage counseling and get some therapy. And let me put an asterisk there. I'm not saying therapy and marriage counseling is bad, but if you do marriage and therapy and marriage counseling and you leave God out of it, don't expect full restoration. And and the same thing with finances. You, You ever heard of Dave Ramsey? You need any financial help, just watch his videos, read his book. And it's great, I love Dave Ramsey. But if you leave God out of it, we don't need him. We just need Dave Ramsey for our finances. And now all of a sudden, We're allowing things and people to try to restore our life when God is the restorer of all things. And the truth is today, I I wanna end this way, is God's moving and doing all three of these things right now. He's redeeming souls right now. He's renewing souls right now. He's restoring people's lives in full even right now. And it's hard for you and I to believe it at times because all we see around us is a more disunited, nation than we've ever seen, more problems on the horizon with Ukraine and Russia than we've ever thought. We look around our lives, our marriages are falling apart. We look around our country, we look around our world and we see brokenness. We see despair. And we're tempted to believe that God's not redeeming, renewing, and restoring even right now. But I will tell you this, and I, I truly mean this as someone who has been overseas, you will be amazed, truly amazed to see and know how God is moving in mightier ways than he's moving here in the countries overseas. He's truly doing things at a faster rate in a more full rate than he's doing right here in America overseas. I wanna read you an article, it's not long, I promise. I know it's 10 o'clock uh, that comes from the IMB website. The IMB is the International Mission Board. And they, have, they put out on their newsroom uh, section daily, updates, articles, just to update us on what's going around with missionaries around the world, churches around the world that we want to read about. This article is entitled Death Doesn't Stop Persecuted Churches from Multiplying in South Asia. Let me just read it to you. It's the stuff inspirational movies are made of, but this is the real life story of a man and his lasting influence in a Southern Asian village. Kahan went from practicing Hinduism to testifying about Jesus. Then this is where the plot thickens, he's murdered. Allegedly the death was an attempt to keep Kahan quiet about Jesus's saving grace. Christian worker, Morgan Rawlings confirmed the South Asia planned, the Southern Asia planned to share his testimony before the entire village. Persecution of Christians in South Asia is nothing new. The region of the world has every one of the countries on the world's watch list as top 50 most persecuted countries. What makes Kahan's story so different is that in the very beginning, it was never about him. It was about inspiring an entire community of believers faithfully to follow Jesus one step at a time. The first time Kahan stepped foot in a house church, his neighbors carried him inside. He hadn't walked in four months. When he heard the gospel, he knew it was true when he gave his life to Jesus on the spot. Four members of the church prayed for Kahan and asked him, asked for his leg to be healed. The brand new believer had heard of other people being healed. And so he asked, is it really going to work? The church leader shrugged and said, we don't know it's God's work. The believers understood that God is powerful and can certainly choose to heal. The leader left for another meeting and called back to the house to see if someone took Kahan home. The believers casually said he walked home. What what touched our hearts most was the nonchalant way in telling how this man got up and walked 2.5 miles home, Rawlings said. They live expecting to see mighty works done in Jesus' name. I love that, expecting it. Kahan soon hit the dirt paths, going to all the homes in his villages, telling them about Jesus. In another village, he shared his testimony and helped show a movie about Jesus to 135 people with 80 on the day, praying to receive Christ. Kahan couldn't believe or couldn't hide his joy and excitement in talking about Jesus with everyone he met. He started a church in his home and hosted discipleship trainings. He, t- he walked miles every week sharing the gospel despite the heavy Hindu influence in the area. While running Aaron, Kahan was killed with a blow to the head. The suspect confessed to doing it because Kahan was poisoning people's minds and changing their religion. The man was angry because Kahan wouldn't stop sharing his testimony and people kept putting their faith in Jesus. Kahan's work didn't stop at his death. He passed his passion for sharing the good news to other believers in the area, advised that they should stop it. Until it was safer, one believer reminded others that they must bear their cross and quote, die to follow Jesus. I will not stop telling people about Jesus, the young woman said. If the day comes that I do not come back home, don't worry about me, I will be with Jesus. Five groups now meet because of Khan's testimony and proclamation. He led more than a hundred people to saving grace, saving faith and spent his last hours training others to share their testimony. Kahan's death did not crumble their faith, Rowling pointed out, it, was made, it has made their backs straighten, and the church is rising. In fact, a new church started in the home of another who practiced black magic. Kahan led Shakar's wife to Christ before he died. She attended church, still meeting in his home, a journey that required wading through a deep body of water. She shared with her and prayed for her husband every day until he finally agreed to attend with her. He suffered many sleepless nights from fever and dreams. Shakar heard the gospel and prayed to receive Christ. Believers prayed for Shakar to be healed of sickness. He asked the same question as Kahan, will this work? Shakar received the same answer. As the couple waded back across the waist deep water to return home, Shakar, felt the fever leave, he turned to his wife and said, no longer needed to wade across the water to Khan's home. He was ready to start a church at their own home. They now host church services and outreach event. Shakar is the same hot coal Kahan was, Raleigh said. He baptized three people just this week. Join us in praying for their family. I hope as you hopefully listen to that story, you see that simply a month ago, someone who was not in the kingdom of light gave their life to Jesus. And not only did they give their life to Jesus, they experienced miraculous healings. And as they came to saving faith, the church grew. He, saved, he, he shared his testimony and 135 people attended and 80 gave their life to Christ on the spot. The church is growing And we're tempted not to believe it's growing because we look around an auditorium and think about what we used to be. I'm not interested in what we used to be. I'm interested in what God's doing right now. And what God's doing right now across the world is redeeming souls, renewing our strength and restoring all things back to their intended glory. And you are gonna be tempted not to believe it. Take your eyes off of this community and put it on the big work of what God's doing across this world. And you will see a desperation for the gospel a love for Jesus to provide because if Jesus doesn't provide, no one else will. There's no medical here. There's no grocery stores here. If God doesn't provide food today, there is no food. God is moving in mighty ways right now. And the mission of God will not be stopped. Nothing can stop God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. And next week, what I hope we'll find is how we play a part in helping God do these things in our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing, God, even in this service, in these seconds, whether it's here in this building or whether it's somewhere across the world, God, you are saving and redeeming souls. God, praise to your name for taking me, a little 13 year old punk boy and saving me from a domain of darkness and putting me into a family where I'm loved and served and accepted just for who I am. God, thank you for the moments that I've walked through terrible seasons and you've been there beside me renewing, strengthening me, encouraging me, reminding me of how you're with me in the darkest times. God, thank you for the restoration of my life, that you didn't just try to save my soul, but that God, you wanted to make my marriage great. You wanted to make my character great. And God, I fail time and time again, but I know that you're actively, even in these moments, restoring my life back to how it was intended to be in Genesis 1. I pray for all of us in here, God, that as we leave this building, that we we would be reminded of what you're trying to do and that we would allow you to do it in our lives, God. You're gonna do it one way or another, but God, I pray that we would humble ourselves and allow you to do it in our life so that we can be light, so that we could be salt. God, I pray for the rest of the day. Bless us as we go and bring us back safely next week. We pray it in your name, amen. Uh, one thing before you guys go, uh, as you go to Kid Venture or as you go to the lobby, I, I want to encourage you to take one of those uh, things off of the windows. We're trying to, again, raise uh, support for 150 students. There are materials that Allison needs. I would hopefully encourage you to, to consider buying some materials and helping with VBS this year. Thank you, guys. Have a great Sunday.